0: From Rare Cancers Australia, you're listening to Radio Rare. The podcast, we share the stories of those in and around the rare and less common cancer community. And on today's show, you'll be hearing from Tracy Duggan, an accredited exercise physiologist from the Ballarat Integrated Cancer Centre, who has been working in the oncology space for the past few years. There are a lot of myths and misconceptions about the role that exercise should and does play in the cancer journey. And to people who aren't already in the exercise space, a lot of questions as well. We hope that with the expert advice today, you can find the answers you're looking for and work towards a more active lifestyle tomorrow. But as Tracy says, make sure you consult your oncologist or GP before starting a new exercise routine to make sure it is safe for you to do so. As always, a reminder to all of you listening, We at Rare Cancers Australia have a vision that no Australian should go through their cancer experience alone. If you, your caregiver or someone close to you ever needs to speak to someone, our specialist cancer navigators are here for you. Reach out on 1800 257 600 or email support at rarecancers.org.au.
1: Good morning to all our listeners and thank you for joining us today on Radio Rare. I'm Dr Emily Isham and with me today, Tracy Duggan, who's an accredited exercise physiologist working predominantly in oncology at Ballarat Regional Integrated Cancer Centre for the Ballarat Health Service. Welcome Tracy.
2: Thanks Emily um, and thanks for the opportunity and having me today.
1: Yeah, no, not a problem. It's It's wonderful to have this opportunity. Can you please just introduce yourself and tell us a, a bit about the work you do and your background?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, as you said, um, so predominantly um, for the last six or so years, I've worked in exercise in oncology for people before, during and after all sorts of cancer treatment at the Bellarat Regional Integrated Cancer Centre, also known as the BRIC. You'll find me regularly sharing information about exercise and oncology in our Why Wait for Wellness education session ran here currently on a virtual platform. At the hospital and that's along with our dietitian and our psychologist and just more recently I have actually commenced um, some work in the chronic kidney disease space. That sounds
1: like quite a broad area that you're working in but firstly to start us off Tracy do you mind telling us exactly what an exercise physiologist does because I know that many people out there aren't aware of quite exactly all the things that you cover.
2: Yeah yep so an exercise physiologist, uh, so we really specialise in describing and, and supervising exercise for people who have a range of chronic different um, complex health conditions, you know, such as cancer.
1: And what kind of work does an exercise physiologist do specifically in the cancer space? Why do people who are undergoing treatment with cancer, firstly that those who are in treatment, why do they need an exercise physiologist to work alongside them?
2: Well, an accredited exercise physiologist with experience in cancer care will be able to do things um, specifically tailor and target exercise programs specific to tumour streams and also the side effects associated with different types of treatments. We use evidence-based practice to do this. We also take into account special circumstances or considerations. So, you know, such as some side effects, the side effects, sorry, of treatments, you know, bony nets, post-surgery um, precautions, things like that, just to ensure also safety and minimise risk. We provide also cancer-specific education and, and advice to really empower and equip people with the tools and the knowledge, you know, to help improve overall health and being. You know, in general, so exercise physiologists will have, you know, that knowledge and understanding, you know, of, cancer diagnosis, you know, the types of treatments, the side effects, the phases of, of, um, of cancer as well. And all these things, um, you know, we need to take into account um, and to be aware of, of how that may impact um, a person's ability to exercise. That was really good. So, Tracy, you used the term evidence-based practice
1: before. I'm really curious as to what the evidence is out there about why exercise is actually useful for those in treatment Um, because I know know, decades ago people who are undergoing cancer treatment were very much um, encouraged to rest a lot and, and stay in bed and for people to help them and bring things to them so they didn't have to expend energy. So do you mind going into why this advice? I know the COSA guidelines changed in 2018 and I'm curious as to what the evidence is behind all of that now.
2: Yes, yeah. So historically, the message was, you know, to to rest and, and rest is best, but that, you know, has certainly changed. Um, and the evidence shows us and the research shows us that regular exercise can certainly help improve or prevent the decline in muscle strength um, and fitness. And we know that there's a general percentage of muscle loss that occurs, say, for instance, during chemotherapy, um, and exercising um, can actually maintain or even improve physical function. It can help reduce the severity of, of some symptoms, side effects, such as you know, pain, nausea, and the big one, fatigue, um, which is one of the most common um, and debilitating physically um, and emotionally. You know, certainly, exercise can help counteract that side effect it can actually help improve chemotherapy completion rates. So help people get through and complete their full regime of chemotherapy, you know, without a dose reduction, thus, you know, getting more of that chemo agent into the patient. Um, So the patient is tolerating treatment a lot better because they're not experiencing, you know, as severe side effects and they're able to actually, you know, go through and, and complete that regime. And that really gives, you know, the best chance of survival. The other things that we'll, um, sorry, the other benefits, um, so we also improved emotional well-being. So there's the, the the physical benefits, but there's also the psychological benefits as well. So improving your mood, self-esteem, you know, it's great stress relief. Exercise is a natural, um, you know, it can naturally lift people. It can be a welcome distraction. It can be an outlet. And I think it can be something that people can choose to do to become actively involved in their treatment.
1: I'm just going to go back to you saying that fatigue can be helped. Now, that seems counter to the whole idea of exercise where people feel quite worn out afterwards and generally feel more depleted of energy when they've had a big day.
2: Tell me why exercise improves fatigue. It is a common thought, like, does exercise um, make my fatigue worse? And and, and often that is a common thought and and can be a barrier to exercise. And sometimes we do hear people say, you know, I'm going to wait until after I actually finish my treatment to start exercise. And we explain, even though exercise may be the last thing that you feel like doing during your treatment and during really difficult treatments, you know, it can certainly help boost your energy levels. As I said, it is one of the most debilitating side effects that affects people. Um, and it, you know, it can be bothersome in that it can persist long after treatment has actually fin- um, completed, has finished. So poor overall fitness generally associated with you know, cancer-related fatigue. Loss of muscle mass significantly con- contributes to cancer-related fatigue. In general, we know that everyday tasks, for example, you know showering, getting dressed, can take more effort, um, so in people that are fatigued, because generally there's less muscle mass to use, so it's more taxing on the body. But certainly, we can counteract that. We can help to counteract that by incorporating, um, you know, a highly, you know, a, a targeted, a specific program suitable to that individual and their current ability, their cancer type, you know, their condition, and we can put some tips and strategies in place um, to, make, to make it achievable. So things like having an exercise plan for a good or a not-so-good day in place. So fatigue varies. So it might be on one day you're able to go for a walk on around the block, but another day your fatigue levels um, are not fantastic. It may be that you go for a walk to the letterbox or back or it is about self-care activities for the day, you know, or if you are really, really struggling, it may be about if you are sitting on the couch or lying down for long periods of time, setting a timer every 20 minutes to just stand up, move around, go fix yourself a drink and come back and sit down. So we really encourage you to listen to your body. You know, rest is valuable. Rest when you need to, be active when you can. But you know really looking at incorporating making sure that you know we start at a lower intensity and we build ourselves up we exercise for shorter periods of time and in blocks over the day so you know if it's a struggle to do you know ten minutes or twenty minutes continuous of exercise, you break it down to you know five minutes and you might spread that out over the day so we get a bit strategic how we do things and and how um, you know we can make it and design it and tailor it to work for you and and, and that person's need at that time right now
1: yeah that makes sense it's a you know smaller chunks is much more manageable um, and achievable you know to to actually get started with so are you saying going back to the fatigue issue that doing exercise during treatment not only improves your threshold for what you can actually manage so you know if you if you're doing beyond getting up and going to the shower then it may Then it means that getting up and going to the shower is easier. But are you also suggesting that people recover better and have less muscle deterioration when they're at rest and on treatment?
2: Yes. So certainly, um, exercise—you know—can maintain, and that's one of our main goals: is to maintain uh, muscle mass. It can actually improve muscle mass over time as well. So in general you know, people who are exercising regularly after a cancer diagnosis um, generally experience fewer and mild, milder side effects from their treatment. Yeah, fine. That, that That makes sense. And
1: can people get fitter whilst on treatment? Like if they start off with a diagnosis and they've got no base level of fitness because it's never been something that they've considered, can you actually start exercise whilst on cancer treatment?
2: Yes, absolutely. So, and people who do come in, you know, quite sedentary or haven't been exercising in the past, haven't been to the gym or not the sporty type, you know, um, can certainly come in and and start exercise um, and surprise themselves actually, and you know, improve their fitness over time.
0: During cancer treatment, it is very common for patients to lose large amounts of muscle mass, which, as Tracy explained can make even the most basic of tasks each day just a little bit more difficult. But by actively maintaining your muscle mass or even gaining new muscle before, during, or after treatment, you can minimize the daily accumulator fatigue, resulting in more energy and better treatment outcomes.
1: And in terms of programs, Tracy, you were talking about smaller increments and and getting longer and gauging how you feel. I've got, I've just got a few questions about that. Firstly, you help to design programs and do you focus mostly on cardiovascular fitness or strength to begin with when people are starting out for the first time?
2: Evidence-based exercise prescription tells us, um, you know, for people with cancer, generally it, it's both modes. So it's both strength, it's both cardiovascular. So, you know, things like you're walking and you're cycling and you're swimming along with your resistance, your strength training. So, you know, pushing, pushing against some weights, using your own body weight, TheraBands, you know, those types of exercises. The focus may change depending upon the person's goals. So if someone does come in and um, there has been that loss of muscle mass, we may place more emphasis on the strength side of things. The other thing that we may add in so there's other modes of exercise that we can add into people's programs too, depending upon their circumstances. So their, you know, their diagnosis, um, you know, their staging, the treatment they're having, um, you know, specifically the the tumor stream and the side effects. We can incorporate things like impact exercises, balance exercises, flexibility, um, you know, pelvic floor, those types of things. So really, an exercise. Exercise prescription for people with cancer is multimodal, so it needs to be individualised and specific to them and their cancer needs. And that's where, of course, your expertise would come in.
1: I'm curious as to how how would people on cancer treatment gauge when they should have a rest and let their body recover versus when they should actually push themselves a little bit um, because they can manage a little bit more?
2: And it is that, you know, listen to your body. Things can change from day to day, from um, week to week, depend upon your cycle of treatment. And what may feel like moderate intensity on, or or, sorry, light intensity on one day may feel like moderate intensity on another day in between treatment cycles. It's about listening to your body um, and reporting how your fatigue levels are going, monitoring that. Um, and then, you know, working up to from you know a light intensity, um, if possible, if able, working up to a moderate intensity, and and usually, you know, to explain what moderate intensity looks like and what light intensity looks like, and and vigorous intensity for that too. Moderate is um, we we generally explain it in the talk test. So moderate exercise, you should be able to hold out a conversation but not sing. Okay, light intensity is when you can hold out a conversation and you can sing. Vigorous exercise, we explain, is not even, not being able to, to talk or sing whilst you are exercising. That gives people a bit of an idea, of, you know, what intensity they're working at, but it is it does come back to the individual and, and how they feel and, and listening to their body on the day um, and really having that exercise plan in place for a good day and a not-so-good day. So Tracy is it safe
1: if if healthcare providers give the okay is it safe for people on cancer treatment chemo or radiotherapy or immunotherapy or any, anything else that's out there at the moment for them to do vigorous or moderate and vigorous intensity exercise
2: The guidelines the general guidelines are if possible aim um, to build up to moderate to vigorous intensity so 150 minutes of aerobic exercise building up to if possible moderate to vigorous Um, and the same with strength the guidelines are you know two to three strength sessions per week again building up if possible to that moderate um, to to vigorous however we know it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and there may be some people um, that may not be appropriate um, and you know those that you know have really um, severe side effects, or even those nearing end of life, where the guidelines aren't uh, appropriate, and you know that's where we need to specifically tailor to that individual. And that's not to say that we we can't exercise. You know we we just need to take that special consideration into account and make sure um, that we're minimising harm, minimising risk to that patient. So you, you mentioned surgery. Can people
1: exercise post-op if if their healthcare provider or their surgeon is happy that things are tracking well? Can they start exercising pretty soon after?
2: Yes. So once there's that medical clearance, you know, we do recommend that you catch up with someone with experience and in oncology, exercise and oncology, you know, such as an exercise physiologist or physiotherapist to get guidance because there are certain precautions that we need to take into consideration but certainly moving after you know getting moving after you've had that clearance can help you get back and recover quickly um, a lot more quicker and and back to doing um, your normal daily living activities and and back to your functioning pre-surgery
0: Coming up after the break, Tracy talks about what it's like to exercise in isolation and some of the resources available from your own home. Before that, a word from our specialist cancer navigators in the patient support team.
3: Hi, my name is Beth and I'm a specialist cancer navigator with the patient support team at Rare Cancers Australia. Our team understand that everyone's journey is different, so we are here to support those affected by a rare or less common cancer diagnosis by navigating you through some of the hurdles you may be faced with. For example, we can link you in with peer support, which is linking you with other cancer patients who are going through a similar journey to yourself. We can also link you in with support groups that we have run for patients or carers. We also have the ability to link you in with clinical trials for your specific cancer type. We can link you in with specialist clinicians for your cancer type as well. So if you'd like, feel free, give us a call on one 800 257 600 or email us on support at rarecancers.org.au
0: Welcome back to Radio Rare. Tracy has spoken about the benefits of taking on exercise as a part of your cancer treatment pathway, and explained how exercise can lower fatigue. We now rejoin the conversation and listen in as Tracy shares some of the resources to stay active when isolating at home, and delves deeper into what to do on those low energy days.
1: And so, what if you're coming from the opposite, the opposite? direction for want of a better word Um, and you used to do a lot and then you were diagnosed with cancer but your body can't do what you want it to do anymore do you continue to try at that level or do you just have to really wind it back and like you said before just um, do do what you can but listen to your body more
2: yeah exactly so it is tuning into your body and Look, there is evidence to, to support integrating exercise into all phases of cancer. So from, you know, pre-treatment to palliation, it's important really to seek out that support to match the exercise prescription to where the person is now. And it, and it may be that based on a person's goals and abilities and, you know, also their preference, we just may focus on your physical activity and functioning, you know, activities of daily living, you know, rather than a structured set program. Okay, so going
1: on from that, a lot of people who have cancer or are on cancer treatment have to put themselves in isolation, whether that's in a transplant room or they're in hospital for a long time or they have to keep themselves at home so that they're not exposed to lots of viruses and bacteria out there. I'm curious as to what you recommend for these people to do if they're not allowed outside and they're within the confines of four walls. How do you help those people design a program to keep them moving
2: yeah well you know and particularly with COVID um, this this year um, you know your exercise professional can keep in contact with you via the phone telehealth and the new virtual world of, of group education as well so there's means of of keeping in contact if your immune system is really compromised and, and weakened. That um, it's not advised for you to go at, um, you know, to public facilities such as pools and um, gyms and those types of things. But exercise cannot be only delivered in hospitals and community-based settings. It can be in your own home. And you know, being isolated, um, being at home doesn't stop you from doing your exercise programs, and they can be just as effective using your own body weight, using dumbbells, using TheraBand, household items, you know, and walking. Your exercise professional can, you know, help you and guide you with that.
1: Yeah, and COVID has brought with it a lot of terrible stories, but it has also allowed the internet to be used in ways that we've never thought of. And I know that there are lots of gyms that are running online sessions and um, online exercise programs and YouTube workouts and all sorts of things. So I'm wondering Tracy whether you have got perhaps an example of course without breaching confidentiality of people who you've helped get started from scratch who've been on cancer treatment and have needed specific motivation or specific exercise programs and what good outcomes that they've noticed in the in the interim because it's really it's really great for people to hear how it's helped others I think
2: so I guess one of the biggest things that people notice and and pretty much straight away is the difference to their fatigue levels. So we monitor fatigue levels pre and post session, and, and often people will um, come in and their fatigue levels will be um, quite high, and you know after their session they'll leave feeling that little bit better. So. You know, that's really significant um, and that can be a big motivator too, to continue to exercise, that they can see that that makes them, um, you know, it can boost their energy. The other big thing is is mood as well. And, you know, we know the research shows that only, you know, a relative small amount of exercise, in fact, you know, just 10 minutes of a brisk walk can actually improve our mood. Um, so they're, they're some of the first things that we notice that people can do, um, that people, you know, changes um, to the, you know, their every day, which can be quite, are quite significant. You know, it, it may be for some people, it is, it is about maintaining where they're at. We don't want that functional decline um, in their muscle mass and in their strength and their ability to go about doing their normal daily living activities. I guess, some goals where people um, have been able to achieve, Um, you know, say, for instance, getting down on the ground and playing with the grandchildren. Love to play with their grandchildren, love to do it at their level, but then have trouble getting back up again. So functionally working on that strength to be able to get back up again. Really, sitting down with the patient and with the person and working out, you know, what it is at the moment that you struggle with, that you're really having difficulty with and and how we might be able to help with that. The 150 minutes worth of exercise, that can be really quite overwhelming when we say that and, you know, if we can, building up to moderate, you know, to high intensity and that can be really overwhelming. So really making sure that people are aware that it is individual, you know, to you and your specific needs. So, you know, some people may exceed this goal, some people may progress progress towards this goal, and some people may have a different goal and you know, if these general guidelines are not appropriate. Um, so it's just, it's certainly not a one, one size fits all approach.
0: You may have heard Emily or Tracy speaking about the recommended 150 minutes of exercise from COSA, which is the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia. But it's important to remember that we all start out at various levels. Working with a physio to find out what level you're up to before building towards that 150 goal. If you're already exercising regularly, here are a few red flags you should keep an eye out for. Heart problems such as swelling or pain in the chest breathing troubles, any bone pain, if you have a low blood count, or any signs of temperature or infection. If you have any of these, please speak to your GP or oncologist.
1: Perfect. So Tracy, just on that, on the 150 minutes of exercise a week as per the guidelines, I'm just wondering... What you suggest to parents with kids or teenagers on cancer treatment, um, because obviously it's not going to be the same number of minutes that are recommended, with, you know, in the COSA guidelines, um, and how carers, if carers want the, the adult, the special adult that they're looking after who has cancer, or the parent wants their child on cancer treatment to start exercising, how would carers approach that and motivate those people?
2: Uh, by doing it together by you know that 's one of the biggest motivators is exercising with other people and finding something that you enjoy and doing it often and I think for kids that 's really important that we do it through you know activities that they really enjoy so identify that and and be doing it you know um together as as a group The other thing you know there are you know there are walking groups there are kind of cancer specific exercise groups as well, and I think that support along with the exercise is great recipe to keep yourself motivated okay so
1: going back to that I don't know I mean certainly from from our experience the idea of exercise during treatment had not been brought in as mainstream and part of the inpatient managed treatment program Um, and that was you know in the pediatric circles I'm curious as to whether you're seeing change now in the adult oncology hospitals as to whether it's actually being prescribed and in a more formal way, and inpatients are being followed up, you know, daily or every second day um, in terms of getting their exercise or their body movement or their muscle strengthening time every day while they're in hospital.
2: So first of all, we are seeing more exercise physiologists um, working in hospitals and in the cancer space in hospitals, which is really exciting. So I specifically don't work on the wards, um, so I'm probably dealing with people outpatient-wise, but we are certainly seeing, particularly with the release of the COSA position statement um, in 2018, which was actually just recently just slightly updated in October this year, so no significant changes. It's really just emphasising what we've, what we've actually been doing. But certainly since the release of that position statement, exercise, you know, and, and the statement, you know, was that um, they recommended exercise integrated as, as part of cancer care, um, you know, to help basically, you know, minimise, counteract um, those side effects of treatment. So we are seeing, um, you know, certainly more people being referred to exercise and referred to exercise early, which is really important. So if we can get people exercising and avoiding inactivity um, before their treatment starts, fantastic. In saying that, though, it's never too late to start an exercise program. Yeah, that's good to know, because
1: some people think, oh, it's all, it's all, you know, I'm on treatment, there's no point now, but you're absolutely right. It's never too late to start, is it?
2: Absolutely. And and as I said, you know, there can be benefits, you know, through all phases of treatment. Our goals and people's goals may change, but, you know, certainly it is possible to exercise throughout all phases of treatment.
1: So on that note, Tracy, how soon should people, if, if they hear this today and they decide, okay, I'm going to start walking every day, how soon should people who are starting an exercise program start to see benefits in, say, reduction in fatigue? Is it just an overnight thing or does it require a little bit more perseverance and patience?
2: We generally find that people, you know, pretty much from the beginning, they 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 can do an exercise session and, and it can have that impact um, on, on their mood and their fatigue. But we needed to monitor their exercise response too. And we need to be making sure that we're pacing and we're planning. So I guess looking at the threshold at the moment of that person, you know, making sure that, um, you know, exercise is targeted correctly as well. It is really individual. And and as I kind of mentioned before, it it may be that, you know, in terms of seeing benefits and how soon we see benefits, maybe that we, we want to maintain um, we we don't want that loss of muscle mass. We don't want that functional decline. We just want to maintain where we're at throughout treatment.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So how would people out there, our listeners, go about finding a an exercise physiologist or, even better, a cancer-specific exercise physiologist?
2: Yep, so... Um... You can find an accredited exercise physiologist with experience in oncology um, on the Exercise and Sports Science Australia website, online directory. So that's ESSA, E-S-S-A. We are seeing more, as I said, EPs in the public and private hospital settings and also private as well. But also your GP oncology team may may also be aware of local EPs in your region as well.
1: Mm, yeah so important well thank you very much and and Tracy usually on these episodes just to get get to know the person behind um what we've talked about a little bit I do like to ask at the end if you have a favorite book or podcast you like listening
2: to yeah yeah and um this year has just been a really funny year actually we've been bogged down in um with you know, remote learning with school, and um, it's just been certainly a different different year. So I feel as though I haven't possibly been listening to as many podcasts and and um, reading apart from professional development as much as I usually would. Um, so, but a colleague actually um, passed this uh, podcast on to me a couple of weeks ago, and i I'll, I'll Found it really interesting and been listening to it um, quite often in the last couple of weeks. And it's called um, Listen Able, and it's a podcast by Dylan Allcott and Angus Oglochlin. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, um, but really, it's just you know, it just just gives everybody a greater knowledge and understanding of the everyday challenges faced, um, you know, by people, um, you know, um, with disabilities, and and it's really through. Incredible stories that they share, um and I just it's just inspirational listening, so um that's something that I've been listening to at the moment, gosh,
1: that's fascinating, especially in a year where everyone's kind of struggled it's it's amazing to hear of people who've done it extra tough, isn't it
2: yes, exactly yeah yeah and and I think um yeah it's certainly um you know these you know both angus and and Dylan um you know, really do a fantastic job in sharing these stories and, um, you know, quite down to earth in doing it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I'll have to check it out. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for giving up this time to educate us a bit more and give us ideas about where we can all start, um, especially to those of us who are on cancer treatment or those of us who are caring for people on cancer treatment. It's just really useful to know how to start an exercise program um, how to stay motivated, why it's beneficial, um, and how to go about you know introducing it into your schedule. So we really appreciate you putting aside the time to do that today. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Emily. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: There has been quite a bit of information in this episode, and we hope that a lot of you out there listening, are thinking of incorporating some form of exercise routine into your own lives and if you can, here are a few key points to take away. There is no one size fits all exercise plan. Everyone is different and we have different needs. Make sure your plan is targeted to you, your health level and the priorities you set. Rest is super important as that is when the majority of development happens exercise when you can and according to your needs. If you need a reason to continue exercising after treatment, it has been shown to reduce reoccurrence, reduce risk of some secondary cancers as well as other chronic health conditions. And remember to make sure you consult your oncologist or GP before starting a new exercise routine to make sure it's safe to do so for you. Tune in next episode when we speak to Dr. Jay Perry a research associate operating out of Wollongong University, as well as RCA's own Dr. Amanda Ruth, the author of the NOAA Vision 2030 report, as we look into the future of cancer medicines in Australia. Radio Rare is produced in-house at Rare Cancers Australia and is hosted by Dr. Emily Isham and me, James Matthews. Narrative writing and mixing of today's episode by Alexander Smith, reporting by Dr. Emily Isham we are edited by Christine Coben and myself, and our episode music is from AudioBlocks. You can listen to all of our episodes for free on our website, and you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Simply search Rare Cancers Australia and click the subscribe or follow button at the top of the page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to keep up to date with written stories from patients, carers, and information regarding rare cancers. Thank you for listening. We'll be back shortly with our next episode.